Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name here this morning. It is a pleasure and a joy to be with you all this morning. And this morning's message is one that I've been thinking about and preparing mentally for quite some time. And it was mostly inspired by a book uh, by Morris Yoder entitled The Celestial Message. And that book is in our church library as of now. And so while this sermon this morning may be a little more scientific in nature, it's, this is not necessarily supposed to be a science lesson, and I believe there are things that we can learn from it. And this book and others like it have, have really opened my mind to what is out there and to what is in the heavens and has really created a, a desire to know more. And we understand that in the beginning... Almighty, infinite God created heaven and earth. And I believe one of the greatest understatements in all the Bible lies in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 16. On day 4, when describing the creation of the heavens, there's five words, and he said, He made the stars. Five words sum up what humans have been searching and researching and studying for millennia. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. As notice, our text is from Psalm 19. You can follow along on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter his speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where there is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Every day and every night, this message is declared. And everything we're going to look at this morning was created to declare the glory of God, and it does a fantastic job at that. No matter where you find yourself on the globe, no matter what language you speak, you have the opportunity and the privilege to view this message every day and every night. This morning, I want us to see God for who he is. I want the heavens to simply declare the glory of God. There's going to be a lot of pictures this morning, and I'm not going to expound on every single one. They're simply there to do what they're designed and created to do, and that is to declare the glory of their maker. And I want us to see God's love, God's grace, and God's care for each of us as his creation so we can in turn worship and praise him. A quote from Mr. Morris Yoder the author, he says, the human soul can seem inextricably bound by the physical real of the earth and utterly detached from the spiritual reality of God. I'm sure we can all testify to that this morning. It, we get so caught up with the here and the now, and we forget that there's so, much, there's so much more to life. But he continues, but take a walk under the expanse of the glory and the glittering heavens and watch as your spirit is quickened, your prayers are invigorated, and your hearts soar beyond the stars. And my prayer is that happens here this morning in the beauty of the heavens. I'm going to split the first part of this message into two parts, talking about the size of some of the stars and the universe, and then talk about some of the energy as well. So it's beginning with the size. As we know, that is a picture of the Milky Way galaxy in which we call home. We reside somewhere in one of these outer bands. And this is a picture of Earth. Myself, growing up in the day that I did, this was a normal picture for me. I saw this in science books. I saw this on the internet, wherever. 
But there was a time when this was not a common picture. And one of the first men to view Earth from outer space on Apollo 11 on a return trip home, Mr. Neil Armstrong, said he closed his one eye and he held his thumb out. And he could blot out Earth behind his thumb. And in that moment, he didn't feel big or powerful. He said he felt very small and very insignificant. But that is the planet that we call home. So, but where is Earth in the grand scheme of things? Starting at the top left, obviously, is Earth. And Earth resides in a solar system with other planets revolving, revolving around a central star. After that, among the, the solar systems, other stars and such like. And like I said, that's in the Milky Way galaxy, and we're somewhere about right here, roughly. Now, that Milky Way galaxy is just one of many in a group, and that group is among other groups of such galaxies, among other such groups of such galaxies in the observable universe or the known universe. And we say that because it essentially means we haven't built a telescope big enough to see what's actually out there. And I can just imagine God in heaven as he sees humans creating these telescopes. You know, our minds are blown. Whoa, look at what's all out there. And he's just sitting there like, yeah, that's great. Now go back, build a bigger one. There's more I have to show you. And just to really put into size the solar and the Milky Way galaxy alone, if we could reduce our solar system down to the size of a quarter this morning, so all planets and the sun and all their orbits, the size of a quarter, the Milky Way galaxy would be the size of the North American continent. And that's just one galaxy among so many galaxies out there. We use terms like inches or feet or yards or even miles in order to gauge things and get around on Earth. And that works very well. However, the inch and the foot and the yardstick is not going to do much in God's universe. So scientists have created a ruler, if you want to call it that, called a light year. A light year is how far light travels in a year. Now, light travels at an astounding 186,000 miles per second. That's fast enough to go around the entire Earth seven times every second. And so I'll save you doing the math and tell you that a light year, how fast light or how far light travels in a year, is 5.8 trillion miles. And that's just one light year. I'm going to talk about multiple light years as we go on. What's interesting is that Isaiah 40 tells us what God's ruler is for his universe. God doesn't need a light year for his universe. Isaiah 40 tells us he uses his span from his pinky to his thumb. And that's how God measures out his universe. A universe that we need to use multiple light years of trillions upon trillions of miles, God simply measures out by his hand. By the span of his hand, he measures the heavens. So let's begin by looking at, oh sorry, I have one more thing here. To really show the size of earth and where its relation is to other things. We're going to journey back in time to 1977 on September when NASA launched Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was sent on a one-way mission out of the solar system to take pictures of the planets. And 13 years later on Valentine's Day 1990, Voyager 1 is 4 billion miles away from the sun. And it turns its huge camera back towards the path it just took to take a panoramic view of the family of planets that we call our solar system. To do this, it needed to take 60 pictures. It was that big, so 60 individual pictures. Each picture was 640,000 pixels. 
And at this great distance from Earth, it took five and a half hours for each pixel to upload it on Earth. So after a series of months, when NASA compiled all these images, the image that Voyager 1 sent to Earth of ourselves was this. I love sharing sharing this picture because I get a lot of confused looks. It looks like one of those pictures you get you develop at Walmart. And you're like, oh man, I had my thumb over the sensor of that of that picture. Yes, I'm old enough to remember those times. But if you look closely, and maybe some of you in the back, at least in my testing when I got here, cannot see it. But Earth is right there. And if you were born before the year 1990, you're on that picture. One astronomer said, while looking at this picture, it looks like a speck of dust caught in a light beam. You know, as you're sitting in your house, you see the light filtering through the window and dust particles float. That's what it looks like. Just a speck of dust. Such an insignificant, pale blue dot in the grand scheme of the universe, to which we call home. We're going to compare this Earth, this pale blue dot, to some other stars this morning. We're going to use the illustration of the Earth the size of a golf ball. So we're going to begin with our sun, and no, that's not to scale, by the way. But if the Earth were the size of a golf ball, the sun would be 15 foot in diameter. So you can picture a sphere 15 foot in diameter. That's the sun. You could fit 960,000 Earths inside the sun. And so if the Earth were the size of a golf ball, you could fill a school bus with golf balls. And that's just one star doing its thing in the night sky. It's not the biggest. It's not the baddest. The next one is Betelgeuse, my favorite star name by far. And that's this one right here. Now, Betelgeuse is 427 light years away from us. And if the Earth were the size of a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other. Has anyone seen the Empire State Building? If you can imagine going to New York City, taking your golf ball out of your pocket and placing it on the sidewalk, and going across the block and imagining a total of six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other and trying to find your one little golf ball at the bottom. You could fit 262 trillion Earths inside Beetlejuice. That's a number we are incapable of understanding. But if the earth were the size of a golf ball, you could fill the Superdome in New Orleans with golf balls 3,000 times. That's how many earths would fit into Beetlejuice. It's just one star. On this picture, it's just, yeah, it's maybe a little bit bigger than some of the other ones, but it's just, it's just a star doing its thing. But it's not the biggest. It's not the baddest. The next one we're going to talk about is Musifi. Musifi is a thousand light years away. So if you're following along and doing math, that's 5,800 trillion miles away. And if the earth were the size of a golf ball this morning, Musifi would be the height of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. So once again, if you can imagine getting on a plane and going to San Francisco, getting your golf ball out and putting it on a Golden Gate bridge and going across the bay, imagining two Golden Gate Bridges and trying to find your little golf ball. You could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of this one single star. And Musifi is not the biggest. 
or the baddest. One of the biggest that we have found to date is called Canis majoris, English, the big dog. It's one of the biggest that we have found, and it's 4,892 light years away. And in our scale of Earth being the size of a golf ball, Canis majoris would be the height of Mount Everest, just shy of 6,000 miles so if you can imagine climbing Mount Everest and unzipping your coat and taking out your golf ball in comparison to this one star. Sorry, it's the big one here if you didn't put that together. Um, you could fit inside of Canis Majoris seven quadrillion Earths. So if your Earth were the size of a golf ball this morning, you could cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. Our God is a very, very big God. And for me, while the size was really interesting and boggling, almost more so was the energy that some of these stars and celestial bodies contain and are emitting. So we're going to look at that. The first one is a white dwarf star, the smallest of all stars, much smaller than our sun, and actually only a little bit bigger than Earth. However, it's 200 thousand times more dense than earth and just one second of energy from a single white dwarf star would supply the earth with electricity for 10,000 years just one second of energy the next would be our sun and there's various other stars of that nature and size and it's approximately a hundred times brighter than a white dwarf star we know the sun is approximately 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, just on the surface. And one second of energy from the sun would be equal to 2.5 billion of the Earth's largest power plants producing energy for an entire year. Just one second. And when you hear that, all of a sudden, 93 million miles away just doesn't seem that far. One of the biggest, most energetic stars that scientists have found today is the Pistol Star. The Pistol Star contains 10 million times more energy than the Sun. It is approximately 100 times bigger than the Sun. And those red clouds you see are actually explosions of gas from this star. And that gas that exploded is more massive than several suns. Like if you could condense it into the size of a sun, it'd be more than several suns. So the star is just exploding gas bigger than the sun and it just keeps on shining brightly. But six seconds of energy from the pistol star is equal to what the sun produces in an entire year. Just six seconds of energy. Now neutron stars... This may get a little deep. I'm not going to go in depth too much. But a neutron star is, is a star that's near the end of its life. It is way dense and compacted. And scientists estimate that one teaspoon of a neutron star would weigh a billion tons here on Earth. And some of these stars revolve at over 600 times per second. And these pulses you're seeing are electromagnetic waves just radiating from these stars. 
And this particular neutron star is at the center of the Crab Nebula, which you see here. And that's the remnant of that star that exploded. And so currently the Crab Nebula is six light years across and it's just getting bigger. Just an incredible explosion and of gas and dust that is just there now. And what we call a supernova would be, you know, an exploding star like what you see there. Now, I don't have a picture of it because we, uh, to my knowledge, have not yet found one of these. But a kuzar is what is formed on a black hole. A black hole is a, we'll call it an object in space that eats entire stars, it bends light rays, it slows the passage of time, and scientists have still not quite really realized what a black hole does, but a kuzar is what's formed around the black hole that emits light. And a kuzar can be brighter than an entire Just one celestial body emitting light and energy. And for me, it's so easy on a, on a clear night to go outside and to look up at the stars, and you get to almost this, this peaceful tranquility. You know, you're looking at these stars, and you think the little nursery rhyme, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm going to tell you what they are this morning. They are enormous balls of gases burning at such an incredible temperature. There's nothing peaceful and tranquil about these beings. And we can be very, very thankful for their incredible distance from us. Isaiah 40, verses 25 and 26, God is saying, To whom will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. In the English language, we use similes a lot to compare different things. For example, I've heard that frog legs taste like chicken. Or we say, he is as fast as lightning, or whatever we use. God is saying, what's to you to describe me? What are you going to liken me to? Look, look at the heavens, look at who made them. They don't just... Look, God is saying, and tell me, who created these things? He knows their name. He bringeth them out by... By number, I picture a kindergarten teacher, you know, leading a line of little children. That's God. Every night, he leads out the stars. He knows every single one. He knows their name. He knows where they're supposed to be. There's never a night where you're going to look up and not find the Big Dipper because God misplaced the star. They're all there. Not one gets misplaced. He knows them all. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hopes to them by the breath of his mouth. Maybe you heard someone say that they wish they could have been at creation when God, on day four when God created light. I don't think you would have wanted to be there. Because on day four when God created light, out of his mouth at 186,000 miles per second proceeded stars. We serve a star-breathing God this morning. How do, you, how do you pray to a God like that? How do you relate to a God like that? That is our God, and we are in is the God that we serve. So the question is, what are the heavens trying to teach us? What's the point? Why are they there? 
And I have six things this morning. You could have various others as well. But the first, I believe, is simply what we learn in Psalm 19, where the heavens declare the glory of God. That's what they were created to do. One singular purpose, day after day and night after night. They're simply there to declare the glory of their creator. And they do a fantastic job at just that. That picture there is a supernova, again, an exploded star. And currently, that red ring is 23 million light years across. And it's expanding through space at a rate of 11 million miles an hour, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that explosion was first viewed by Chinese astronomers about 400 years ago. And just, it's just there. Keep declaring the glory of God over and over and over again. Robert Morgan, Christian author and pastor, says this. He said, God intends us to enjoy his creation. That's why it's beautiful. The universe is full of pulsating energy, so its maker must be omnipotent. It appears virtually endless, so he must be eternal. Because it's finely calibrated, he must be intelligent. Since it contains life, he must be personal. And since it's magnificent, he must be altogether lovely. Assuming the existence of a creator isn't a mindless leap of faith, it's the most reasonable thing in the universe. Creator God. The picture there is the center of the Milky Way galaxy or the star-forming region. A center of Vast volumes of hot gas where stars are formed out of, which is why you don't want to be at the center of a galaxy. So the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Are we listening? Are we even noticing their message night after night, day after day? We just go through life almost callous to their beauty and their message the second thing that I believe they're trying to teach us goes along with the first maybe. is just simply who God is. After all you've heard this morning, I'm not sure how you would fill in that blank. God is, maybe we could say indescribable, majestic, uncontainable, omnipotent. But yet those four words you know, just fall so short in really describing who this God really is. And greater than all the mysteries of creation is the, is the greatness of God above all the mysterious things he created. How would you describe God? The heavens are there declaring their glory. That is also, that picture there is also a center of a galaxy. However, it's producing stars at a rate 100 times faster than the Milky Way galaxy. And those bright blue sections you see there are not stars. Those are clusters of stars. Just forming stars one after the next. What do you see when you see this picture? See various stars, maybe some galaxies. And you probably, view, you probably picture an area of the night sky pretty wide. The reality is that the area of the night sky that this picture was taken, you could blot out by holding a single grain of sand at arm's length. 
This area in the night sky was specifically chosen for this shot because ground-based telescopes actually showed an area void of stars. It was not chosen because there was lots of stars and galaxies there. And so scientists trained Hubble's powerful telescope at a certain area to see what is all out there. And it's called the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. That's the name of that picture because it was looking that far into space. In order to take this picture, astronomers had to set Hubble's camera lens to have a total exposure time of 275 hours. Because at the great distance that some of these galaxies were trickling in at one photon per minute, that's how light is is measured in photons. It was trickling in that slowly because it was from that great of a distance. That's over 11 days of total exposure time. And some of the some of the galaxies that are pictured here are 13.2 billion light years away. And every smudge of light that you see on that picture is another galaxy, each holding another 100 billion stars. The only ones that are not galaxies are the ones with the four symmetrical diffraction spikes. So one... I think I counted maybe about 10 on there. Everything else is just another galaxy. Just shy of 10,000 galaxies pictured. And again, each one contains many, many stars. My point this morning is not to make you feel small by showing you this picture, or even the pale blue dot picture, because I'm here to tell you this morning that you are small. And a great understanding would be that our God is big. And I know that it's just so pales in describing who this God really is. But the same God that created all of these galaxies and holds these enormous balls of gas in his hands, that same God is the one that we serve. He wants a relationship with each one of us. And we have got to keep in perspective that God is big, we are small. This is pivotal for the Christian life because everything else just makes sense after that. If you mix that up, where you pull God down in a neat little box and puff yourself up, things fall apart. And sin so easily distorts this view. We have got to keep it in line of God is big and we are small. And everything else just makes sense. Most everything that I've showed you this morning, as far as pictures, came because of a star died, essentially. A star in its early life, as you see here, is just, and we saw some of those others before, it's just a bright light. But when a star dies, and it explodes in such a glorious fashion, that's when we see them in picture books. That's when we talk about them. And that paradox of the true beauty of a star being found in its death, I believe also pertains to us today. Not in our literal death, although I believe that can happen, whether in the life of a Christian martyr, like the ones killed by the Alka Indians, Jim Elliott and his friends. You know, that spoke volumes. I'm talking about a voluntary death, where we die to ourselves and we shed off the outer layers of self-consciousness and self-awareness and self-preservation, just like a star explodes and sheds off gas and dust. 
It's only then, at that voluntary death, that God can take a life that would be, dare I say, meaningless, but once it chooses to die, God can turn that life into something far more glorious than we can ever, ever imagine. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my stake shall find it. This is a supernova, or a dying star again, that for a few months shown a 100 million times sun. But this was only possible because it died. And the glory that we receive from this star and we can take in, like I said, is only possible because that star died. And us dying is less of me and more of Jesus. And God can then use us in mighty ways. The next thing that I believe the heavens are teaching us involves trust. I don't know what circumstances you're facing. I don't know what giants are in front of you or what battles you have to face. But what I know is that the creator of the universe is so much bigger than any of that. And the same hand that holds these enormous balls of burnt is the same hand that wants to hold you, wants to protect you. But unless you release to him and allow him to take control, you will not be able to get that kind of peace and that joy. Psalm 33, David writes, The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men, from his place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth, he fashioned their hearts alike, he considereth all their works. And from his great throne in heaven, God sees down to that pale blue speck of dust in the universe, and he cares about each and every one of us. He knows the amount of stars that are in the universe. He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows the names of every stars. He knows your name. That is the God that we serve. And although a terrifying God to those who are not right with him, a God who literally breathes out stars, is incredibly peaceful to those who are his children. Romans 8.31, If God be for us, who can be against us? And Jesus himself said over and over again, Fear not, little ones. Be not afraid. Over and over again. Are we going to trust? Release to him what we think we can control and allow the creator of the universe to take care of the trivial matters of our life. This is a picture of the Whirlpool Galaxy. The Whirlpool Galaxy has been called the darling of the universe because it sits perpendicular to Earth. And even though at 23 million light years away, we get a beautiful view of this particular galaxy. And everything about this galaxy seems to point towards the center. Those arms, those spirals you see, and those dark areas are not void of stars. That's just space dust covering up stars. It just seems to point us towards the center of this particular galaxy. And scientists felt the same way, and so they turned Hubble's powerful telescope 
right at the center, and he zoomed in right at the center of the Whirlpool galaxy. And the picture that Hubble sent back to us was this. Standing at 100 light years tall, that's 580 trillion miles of the cross. And the cross is just such a reminder of the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that God shares. And when you think about it, that an almighty, infinite, powerful God sent his only son to a speck of dust in the universe to die for people he knew would hate him, who he knew would deny his name, who he knew would spit in his face. And today, that cross still stands. Although it has been rebuked, it has been debated, it has been mocked, it has been ridiculed, the cross still stands today with the same glorious message of grace and forgiveness for each one. And now Jesus Christ stands at the right hand of his Father with his nail-pierced hand outstretched, waiting to accept and forgive anyone who is willing to call in his name. The cross is still standing today as a token of the incredible power and grace of our Jesus Christ. So what are the heavens trying to teach us? Again, I believe they're trying to teach us that they declare the glory of God over and over again, day after day, night after night, no matter what language, they are declaring the glory of God, and they do a fantastic job at just that. Second, God is, I'm not sure what words you would use again, but so indescribable, the God, the creator, we learn about perspective. God is big. We are small. We have got to keep that in perspective. Lord talked about death. The death of those stars is true glory. The death of us, our voluntary dying to self, can then be glory to God. We talked about trust. We talked about the cross. But in all of the information, in all of the numbers that I threw at you, you're probably not going to remember a single one, and that's fine. That's not the point. But what is the point? Why did God create all of this? Would not have been the Milky Way galaxy and the solar system enough for us humans to study for our time on this earth? But yet, do we expect anything else out of a God who is so vast and so grand? And just like the telescope that we create as humans, we will never be able to see the full extent of our universe. No matter how much theological seminaries we create, we will never be able to grasp the depth of God's attributes. And no amount of sermons and no amount of books written will be able to directly describe the depth of God's love for his creation. And so in the midst of these mind boggling realities I believe we hear a call to worship and just like the heavens were designed to declare the glory of God I believe all of his creation was designed to do just that and I can just imagine the stars as they shine up above just inviting us as also creation to declare the glory of God Revelation 4.11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure 
they are and were created. We serve an amazing God this morning. And so, would you all stand with me? And let's worship the Creator here this morning. You are Lord of creation and Lord. the universe, we worship you. And we bow our hearts, we bow our minds, we bow our desires, our goals, our visions, and we give them to you. And Lord, we know that you are Lord of all creation, and we recognize that. Lord, thank you for the heavens, for creating them in their vastness and their glory And the size and energy that you instilled in creation all came from you. And we worship you for that. And thank you for the fact that we can view your creation over and over again. And so, Lord, while we spend our time on a pale blue speck of dust in the universe, may we remember that you care about us, that you love us, you designed us with a purpose and a and it will. And when we go forth, live in our lives to honor and to glorify you. I pray it's in your name. Amen.